Welcome to Malts and Music, a brand new podcast brought to you by the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. My name is Vic Galloway. I'm a broadcaster, author, musician, and lifelong music fan. I'm also a massive whiskey fan. This podcast is inspired by my own experience of pairing up 12 single cask malt whiskey flavor profiles with 12 music genres. I thought, let's do something similar. Get some creative people to pair up five tracks with five delicious whiskies. We also talk about their lives, their careers, their experiences, and go off on various tangents. Enjoy, slanch. Ian Rankin, welcome to Malts and Music. Lovely to see you. Whiskey and music are two things very close to your heart. And um, whiskey's played quite a, a role in your life as well. Before we get stuck into our drams, tell us a little bit about the, the, the 10-year Highland Park that you were involved in for <laughs> Rebus 20 and Rebus 30. Uh, well, no. Uh, Rebus 20, there was a 20-year-old Highland Park. Um, for Rebus 30, it's called Rebus 30, but it's actually a 10-year-old Highland Park. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 10-year-old was for sale with the public, whereas the Rebus 20 was really just a promotional thing. There were only a few hundred bottles. But when I went up to Highland Park to do the research for it, you must do your research as a, as a writer, um, they got me to sign a barrel that's still sitting there. So that's now been sitting there for... Uh, well over 10 years and if I want at some point I can say okay you can bottle that guys and then I just have to pay the tax which is not inconsiderable and I end up with I don't know however many bottles you get from a barrel really so you have an entire cask to, yeah. your, to yourself just if you want there, to just sitting there just sitting there quietly maturing and how long are you going to leave it Do you, I don't know I don't know because being a fifer of course um, I'm very cautious about money so you know as soon as I say to them bottle it that's when the bill comes uh, for the for the tax man so I don't know that's got to be worth a few bob though yeah well I mean Highland Park is incredibly collectible and the older it gets the more collectible like all good malt whiskey the more collectible it gets You've got a huge international um, range of buyers now, and yeah, I was very, I was very happy that Highland Park um, uh, came on board. With I've had other things, I've had beers and things, of you know, because Rebus drinks a bit. So there's mm. been there's been plenty of opportunity uh, for people to get involved promotionally, uh, and it's great. It's great fun, and and going up to I always enjoy going up to to Orkney. I don't get up there very often. But more than that, I do, like my guy Rebus, enjoy going to a whiskey bar, a good whiskey bar. What do you look for flavour-wise if, if you have a whole wall of whiskey available to you and you can choose anything you want? What would you normally sort of, by default, go to? Well, my taste buds are shot, so I go for the big heavy ones. I go for the peaty ones. So it's the Lafroigs, the Lagavulins, the Kaulilas, that kind of thing. Um, Taliskers. The very subtle ones, the Campbelltowns, some of the, the Strath, the Speyside malts, um, I like them. I like them fine enough. If I'm up in you know, Braemar or somewhere, I will happily drink a Highland malt. Um, but if I'm out in Edinburgh or elsewhere for a night and I'm looking for a malt to drink, it'll be one of the heavy peaty ones. Yeah, yeah it's, it is a flavour explosion when you go into those kind of worlds. Um, how did you get on with our five drams in the taster packs and your kind of your, your musical pairings uh, did you find it easy was it a bit of a challenge no I mean I kept changing my mind there were a few where I decided oh, it would be this piece of music then I thought later on no really maybe something else because you know the first little sip of whiskey you take is one thing but when you've 
when you've lived with it in your mouth for a while and when you've had a couple of nosings and tastings and you've had time to reflect, um, you sometimes change your attitude towards it um, and uh, deepen your understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And the notes were great. There was notes that came with a with a with a whiskey. Were I mean, they were kind of funny. Great, you know. There was all sorts of descriptions of flavours. I, I couldn't do that to save my life. I'm very. Um, I'd be a hypnotist's dream. Because if you say to me, you say, "What does that smell of?" I don't know. It smells of bananas. Oh yeah, it does. You know, straight away I will agree with you. Okay, so um, everything is suggested can, to yeah, you. Yeah, I can smell tar. Oh yeah, I can smell tar now. I couldn't before. Um, so yeah, I'm very, very easily gullible and suggestible that way. But I love to, I love to taste notes. I always like tasting notes. Uh, a friend of mine, Charlie McLean, is a great whiskey writer, and he's terrific. I've, I've done blind tastings with him where he'll just pinpoint the year, not not which whiskey it is, but also the year. And you go, that I can't do that. I can't even get close to that. But then he has nosed and drunk a lot more whiskey than me. Yes. Well, and that's, that's maybe one of the greatest jobs in the world. This whole podcast, Malts and Music, is inspired by an experience I had, which was uh, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society asked me to pair 12 single cask, cask strength single malts with 12 music genres. And... I love whiskey, but I'm not that knowledgeable. I'd put my hands in the air and say, look, I don't... I don't I'm, again, I will go for sort of more extreme flavours. I'll go for heavily peated or really sort of, you know, dried fruits, kind of dates and sweet, kind of almost sherry-ish mm. type um, whiskies. But I'm becoming more and more knowledgeable, or so I think, as I go through this. And as you can imagine, 12 whiskies and 12 music genres, it's a hard life. It's a hard life. So what we're doing with Maltz and Music is trying to like do a sort of slightly stripped back version of that. Five drams, five pieces of music. You are our first guest and you've risen to the challenge. Um, we've got our taster packs here. By the way, we should say we're in the vault in Leith in Edinburgh, uh, in the tasting room. It's a wonderful surrounding that we're, we're in. I mean, it's... Um, it's beautiful, and we're catching this on camera, obviously, as well as audio. So let's uh, dip into our but tasting the, packs. The thing I like most about the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society is that it is a, it's a mystery tour. It's a magical mystery tour mm-hmm. because, of course, they, they, they're very cagey or, you know, they, they want you to make your own mind up. So they don't tell you this is from there, this is, this is from there. It's more about this is a suggestion of this, a suggestion of that. This is how strong it is. Um, this is the style it is. Um, so you're not buying a Kaulila, you're not buying a Laphroaig or a Linkwood mm-hmm. or anything else. You're buying their whiskies. So yes. this is cask number 39.209, Apple Aperitif. Uh, Richard from the uh, uh, Scotch Malt Whiskey Society was telling me all about the numbering. So the first number, so in this case it's 39, um, that means that's the 39th distillery that uh, they've taken whiskey from. Okay. And the second number is the batch of casks, so in this case it's 209. So it's the 209th cask they've taken from distillery number 39. I don't happen to know which distillery 39 is, but I know all of you whiskey nerds out there will be able to tell me and, and Ian. Anyway, shall, shall we go for it on the first one? Now, this the bottle is called Apple Aperitif, and just to read a couple of the, the sort of you know details from the card, which goes with it. Uh, a delicate, clean, fragrant, fruity, and subtle sweet aroma of crispy apples, like those in a Somerset apple eau de vie, uh, greeted us. On the palate, the apples did not fall far from the tree. Fizzy, sour, sweet, 
turnover, confit, crumble, strudel, and pie. And it goes on. Uh, brilliant descriptions. You're already in the Glen Cairn. Let me catch up and pour mine as well. So, a quick nose. You can definitely taste, or sorry, I should say smell the, you can smell the apples and I can get those sour sweets on the nose. Right, let's go for it. How's it, how's it tasting? Well, as soon as it said apples to me, I thought, oh, something almost like eau de vie. Mm. Something almost French about that. Um, and, uh, and that got me thinking of kind of French music, folk music, music of Normandy and places like that. And then for some reason, mandolins jumped into my head. Mm-hmm. And that's why I chose the first piece of music that I did, was the mandolin. Um, John Martin, Over the Hill. Yeah, yeah, John Martin. I mean, John Martin, uh, like my guy Rebus, late at night, I'll, I've been known to sit playing a record and uh, drinking a whiskey. And John Martin's album, Solid Air, uh, which I bought when I was still at high school, um, I've still got the same copy and I still play it. It's always the first album I play whenever I move my record deck anywhere. Whenever I move house. It's a stunningly produced album. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, he's, he was a master, there's no doubt about it. But I think but that's his most famous album, but I think it's his best produced album and perhaps the best collection of songs as well. Yeah, it probably is his best album. I mean, it was one song, Solid Air, the title track, was the song I chose uh, when I did Radio 4's um, uh, Desert Island Discs. Mm-hmm. That was the one song I said I couldn't live without. Um, but this isn't. This is Over the Hill, which is track two on the album, because it's got lovely mandolin by, I think, Richard Thompson. Yeah, plays mandolin. Oh, it's um, a superb and it's song. nice folky song. And it's you know I'm going away to leave you, but he goes I leave you in disgrace. So it's actually got a quite it's got a darker side to it. It's got an edge to it. And that's this whiskey is quite it's got an edge to it. It's not just apple pie and and everything else. It's also got a bit of bite. Um, I'm 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 having had a little it. having had a little sip. I'm kind of I'm feeling the bite a little bit as you say. And it's funny, Solidaire. I think my favourite track on that album is. Go down easy. Mm, we can go down easy. And this is under the um, Scotch Malt Whiskey Society uh, flavour profiles. This whiskey is described as light and delicate, but I think you're right. I think it has got a bit of a punch. Yeah, there. and if you think of John Martin, the voice of an angel, um, attitude of a devil, you know, I mean, in real life, he could be a nasty piece of work. Um, uh, I've read about him in various biographies and, and he, you know, he wasn't always the most pleasant of characters to be around. But at the same time, when he got up on stage, the delicate guitar playing and that voice and also the curly hair, very angelic face. I guess, you know, in some ways he's very Scottish. He's a very Scottish musician because he manages to be angel and devil at the same time, you know. Um, you've got to be very careful. He's one of these people you've got to be careful around him. Yeah. And, um, a friend of mine who you've actually chosen as one of your, in fact, your next choice. We can move on in a, in a second. But um, he, James Yorkson, he toured with John Martin. It was his first real nationwide uh, tour. And I think a good old 30 dates or so around the UK. And, you know, he saw the good and the bad of that man. Put it this way. He saw him punch a promoter out, knock him out one night when he hadn't been paid the correct yeah. amount at the right time or whatever. He just knocked him flat. Um, and and you know, one, one time I was in London, actually, I was going to record Desert Island Discs, where I was going to have Solidaire as one of my eight records, and the one record I couldn't live without. And I was having lunch with my agent in West London. We could hear raucous sounds from a table outside on the pavement. As we left, it was John Martin and a couple of mates polishing off their third or fourth bottle of wine. And that was my one chance to go up to him and tell him what his music meant to me. 
No, I bottled it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I've I kind of wish I had done now, but... Yeah, I've had a few experiences. Uh, I once interviewed John Lydon from Public Image Limited and the Sex Pistols and um, surprisingly got on quite well with him. And then he said, oh, you, you should come backstage uh, at the next time we're, we're playing in Glasgow. And I... I said, yeah, sure. And then when the gig came up, you know, a few weeks later, I completely bottled it. <laughs> I did eventually meet him and he was very nice. Yeah, um, well, you, then you have met your heroes and he was okay, but I just felt if, if I meet John Martin and he turns out to be the devil, yeah. um, can I listen to his music again? Funnily enough, a friend of mine supported um, Jonathan Richmond um, at the, the Edinburgh venue, a venue which doesn't exist any longer. And um, Jonathan Richmond was mean without going into too much detail to him. And he played the show, went home that night, took all his Jonathan Richmond records and just broke the vinyl over his <laughs> oh knee. Oh, God. Just couldn't... And you wouldn't want that to happen to John Martin. No. no. So we've gone for the Apple aperitif... Um, light and delicate we've gone for uh, well you've gone for John Martin Over the Hill now you're a massive music fan it's documented in your books which we can maybe mention later but you, what's your preferred method of listening vinyl CD online streaming downloads oh I've always been vinyl um, my sister when I was about 10 years old got a dance set record player for her birthday or Christmas one year I've never been so happy with a gift um, and I just, you know, I would buy singles. Whenever I saved up enough money, I would buy a single. I think Double Barrel, Dave and Ansel Collins, was almost the first single I bought. Um, Superb yeah, track. I know. And then I think probably Silver Machine by Hawkman was the second, and I've still got that. Oh, brilliant. Um, but, yeah, and it's, it's, it's stayed with I mean, I've gone through cassettes, of course, when cassettes came in. I started buying cassettes, then CDs. I started buying CDs. Kids, when the kids were young, I put the record player away because I didn't want them to damage it or the records. And then it came back out again when they were old enough to behave. Uh, but we downsized a couple of years ago, Vic. We moved from a big house to a small apartment and half the records and CDs had to go. There was a cull. And I'm afraid it's getting time to almost cull again because the flat isn't big enough to contain all the stuff that I keep buying. And then during the first lockdown, when there was a slight lull in the first lockdown... A friend of mine uh, went round to his house to listen to some music and he had bought a streamer. And he let me hear it. I thought, actually, that sounds pretty good. You know, this is a guy who knows his top-end hi-fi. So I went for a listen uh, to a, a hi-fi shop on the outskirts of Edinburgh. I liked what I heard, so I ended up buying a Lynn streamer. Lynn, fantastic Glasgow hi-fi company. And music, you know, saved me during the lockdown because I was just listening to more and more music all the time. And it's almost the anti-Amazon uh, in a way, because if I listened to it on streaming and liked it, I would buy the vinyl, mm -hmm. you know? Do you believe in, I, I mean, I certainly do, and, and I know lots of people do, and I have the feeling you do, believe in sort of if, if you fall in love with a record, then you want a copy of it, and pref preferably on vinyl. And actually, record shops and places, you know, that we grew up with, you, 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 you're, it's important to you. Yeah, well, I think it's not just the physical listening to the record. I mean, we can discuss whether we think vinyl sounds better. It's everything else. It's the packaging. It's the fantastic artwork. It's all the details, maybe the lyrics, who produced it. You know, all that kind of information that you don't get on a download. Mm. Um, and I like all that. I like the art that comes with a record. And also I like the arc of an album, mm -hmm. turning it over. Mm -hmm. So a band will have, will have consciously decided what order these songs will go in that really fits this two, two sides of vinyl. And I love all that. Uh, so it's not just nostalgia. I think, you know, vinyl does 
sound great. Um, but if you get a really good streamer, I think streaming sounds just about as good. Yeah. Um, and I don't miss the pops or clicks at all. I mean, you know, some people get like that famous John Peel quote. Someone was saying to me, you should listen to CDs because they don't have any pops or clicks. I said, listen, mate, life's got pops and clicks. Yeah. You know, uh, and, um, yeah, you know, that's, I, I do like vinyl for that. When I listen to that, say, that John Martin album, Solidaire, when I put that on, every pop and click means a moment in my life. I remember how I scratched it, the party I was at, the night I was drunk, whatever. Um, the night I left it on the floor and stepped on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact is creases in the album sleeve or this writing on the inside sleeve because I was writing some daft poem down or something about a girl I could never talk to at school. Um, all of that is there. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, a whole life history in every album. Yeah, and as we're here talking about music and whiskey, I think, you know, the, the ritual of putting on an album or listening to a piece of music long form goes rather well with a drama or two. Oh, yes. Uh, shall we move on to our... I'm, I'm, I'm actually at the point when I've added a little bit of water to the, um, the apple aperitif um, uh, light and delicate, and mm. it's almost over. I'm afraid I... You've done the same, Ian. Right, okay, I don't Yeah, feel I put quite a little bit of water in mine and I've... Um, You've I've still got a little bit left. I'm tiny, feeling tiny guilty, bit. but I'm going to finish mine and then we'll move on to our uh, second dram from our tasting pack. Which is 36.164. Yes. It's bittersweet Christmas stocking treat. Okay. Uh, the Vox exclusive, it says, aged 11 years. So we have our uh, tasting notes again without reading out the entire... Uh, Card it says uh, an initial pineapple blast on the nose subsides the honey on toast warm almond croissant uh, custard creams and chocolate hobnobs apples and oranges in Christmas stockings and the dustiness of rolled oats and a carpentry shop. That's excellent. Straight straight away, uh, you know. Yeah, even this is the thing. If if perhaps you don't know too much about whiskey or, you, or you, you've never been drawn to it these descriptions I think really paint a lovely picture and might actually entice you to yeah 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 there's another whiskey writing friend of mine Dave Broom writes superb tasting notes uh, you could almost just sit and read his tasting notes um, in, a, in a whiskey bar or something um, and, and you'll almost be tasting the whiskey just by reading his descriptions of it I'm very I mean, as someone who takes tens of thousands of words to say what they want to say, I am in awe. I mean, this is poetry when you can write a description of a whiskey in a few lines and capture it. I'm in awe of that. That's a poet skill. When I was asked to do the 12 pairings with 12 genres, I really enjoyed it. And I knew I had to keep the captions to a couple of hundred words. And I'm a big fan of kind of old school rock and roll journalism and shooting from the hip language wise so I tried my best I mean people can be a judge of whether they like the descriptions or not if they go and read them online but for me it was a lot of fun um, but I think it's quite hard actually to, to write two or three hundred words on something rather than as you say two or three thousand yeah yeah. so here we go this is in the uh, flavour profile this is sweet fruity and mellow and we have a few in this sample pack which are sweet fruity and mellow but I think they're all very different whiskies. Uh, Christmas stocking treat yeah it's another Speyside I mean I know that because it says Speyside on the card mm. it's not me sniffing it and going mm. ah it's obviously a Speyside yeah. Uh, but yeah you see as soon as I heard Christmas my thoughts turned to crackling log fires and Christmas carols was sailing mm-hmm. and I thought hang on a minute 
James Yorkston, great Fife musician um, from roughly the same part of the country as me, uh, had an album called The Cellar Dyke Wassailing and... Recording and Wassailing Society, yeah. Right. So just, it's, it's, it's the, uh, what's it, an anagram? Not an anagram, what do you, what do you call it when you put... An uh, acrostic. Yeah, Crawls. Crawls, yeah. Uh, and he does a musical project, or he used to do a musical project with uh, King Creosote and Pictus Trail, uh, another two, uh, you know, Fife-based or at one time Fife-based musicians, and they would call themselves the Three Craws. And I think it was t- t- sort of, yeah, almost like um, saying how badly they sang together, but it wasn't true. Of course, they sounded great. And but yes, yeah, sorry, James, James. James has also written a novel called Three Craws, yes. which I have read. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I just thought, okay, we're sailing. I mean, that sounds that sounds perfect for me. It's because oh, no, and I chose the, the. Hang on, which song did I choose? I chose um, uh, the very, the very, very best. the very, very best, which is a breakup song. So again, we're we're into John Martin territory. Uh, John Martin is going home, but the reason he's going home is that he's broken up from a relationship. And here's a song where the the narrator of the song is breaking up, but wishing the ex partner the very, very best. But then the ex-partner gets to respond. Uh, there's another singing voice on the track that responds. Um, so you get a call and response, the way they used to in old, uh, uh, in old um, folk songs and ballads. And I just loved that. And it's quite a dark... The tone of the song is actually quite dark. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's perfect for winter nights. Mm-hmm. It's, a very, it's a very winter song. Mm-hmm. That, does it smell like, and taste like a winter whiskey to you? Um, I think there are elements of it, but... Um, Quite often when I've um, gone through different flavour profiles with the, the Whiskey Society, I've, I've, I've often thought that the deep, rich and dried fruits profile or the old and dignified profiles mm-hmm. tended to go w- with a more kind of festive, Christmassy kind of almost, you know, Christmas pudding yeah. style um, tastes and flavours. Um, this one doesn't immediately go um, Christmas stocking to me, but... The more I, again, the more I yes. sip of it, the more, and the more perhaps I'm suggested with some of the tasting notes and so on. And if we look at some of the uh, tasting notes of sweet, fruity and mellow, watermelon, pims, apricot, Turkish delight, um, lemon meringue pie. And I think I'm getting more of that than I'm getting Christmas stocking, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well... I think if you drank this in the depths of, depths of winter in front of a crackling fire, you would get it. I think so, yeah. But you could also drink it slightly chilled in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, so one of the things I love about whiskey is, that, I mean, it is, you know, it's, it's much more flexible than we used to give it credit for. You know, uh, you know I grew up in a, in a culture where whiskey was for men of a certain age and funerals. Uh, yes. And possibly Christmas. Uh, a new year that was when the whiskey came out there was always a bottle in the cupboard somewhere but I don't remember my dad drinking it too often but of course he would drink it in the pub when he was with his mates um, but it's moved on now it's become a younger person's drink it's become a much more flexible drink and we've got access to a lot more different whiskies than used to be the case you know? I, I read somewhere that you gave your dad a bottle of Beaumore once and that was really his introduction to nice whiskey rather than we won't name brands, but, yeah. you know, uh, sort of... Well, I, you, you might not, but I might, I might. I mean, my dad ran a grocer's shop when I was a kid, uh, pre-teens. He ran a grocer's shop in Loch Galley in Fife. 
And I, my windowsill in my bedroom was full of whiskey memorabilia. You know, Johnny Walker, the kind of, uh, a statue of the walking Johnny Walker and uh, White Horse, the kind of statue of the White Horse from White Horse Whiskey, um, stuff like that. And uh, but yeah, it was. It tended to be the kind of cheap and cheerful stuff. Dimple. We had an empty dimple bottle. It was this kind of almost triangular bottle, weird shaped bottle. I'm sure there's a proper word for it. Um, that we kept sixpences in. Mm. And when it was full up, you would break it open and you would count up all the sixpences. Um, when I was a tiny kid, I used to steal the sixpences. But then I felt guilty, so I would leave them around the house on the you know on the sofa or on the carpet. And my parents very soon twigged what was going on. But yeah, it was that. It was it was the, the it was the cheap and cheerful stuff. The, the 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 grouse and the bells of this world was what my dad tended to drink. But of course, having arrived at Edinburgh University, first member of my family to go to uni, I thought, well, Ian, you're now sophisticated. Mm-hmm. You should buy a pair of brogues. Uh, and a tweed jacket and you better buy your dad a proper bottle of malt whiskey and I took him a bottle of Bowmore for his birthday or Christmas one year um, and yeah and we, we both sat and enjoyed that we loved it and I think he got into it after that mm-hmm. and so I always, I always associate see when I drink Bowmore I always associate with my dad yeah um, and Ian Banks became a, a, a friend and, and something of a mentor to you I, I, I get that impression and he introduced you to you know, the, the world of whiskey? Is that, would I be well, correct in no, saying No, he that? didn't introduce me to the world of whiskey, but he certainly introduced me to the world of the Scotch Ball Whiskey Society. Okay, we had, right. We had a few good nights in this very building in Leith. Um, there was a bunch of us. There was uh, uh, Andy Gregg and Ron Butlin. There was a few writers who used to get together and we would go to a good whiskey bar in Edinburgh or we'd come to the, the Malt Whiskey Society. And then we would always end up at, um, just out near Haymarket Station at Ian's, Ian Banks' favourite curry house before he got the last train back to North Queensferry. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were sitting in a pub in Edinburgh. I mean, I shouldn't name pubs, but I will. It was the Abbotsford uh, one night. And he said, I've just, he said, I've just signed a contract for a great book. We said, what is it? He said, I'm going to drive around every distillery in Scotland looking for the perfect whiskey. And the rest of us looked at each other and thought, why didn't we think of that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did he beat us to that, you know? I was really annoyed at him for beating me to that. But it was a great book. I think Raw Spirit is one of his very best books, and it's a book that stands the test of time. I reread it fairly recently. I think they wanted me to write a new introduction for a, for a new edition of it. And it's just a joyous book, because it's not just about whiskey. It's, and he never, he never does really find the perfect whiskey. Um, but it's a book about friendship, about, about Scotland, about lots of things, about masculinity, about travel, um, as much as it is about the actual distilleries that he visits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I'd, I'd see quite a few different, specifically Scottish authors, referencing or, or including whiskey in their storytelling as well. I know Doug Johnson, who's a friend of Smokehead, yours. Smokeheads, yeah. Smokeheads, yeah. Um, I, I, I went to the launch of that and I have a Smokeheads glass in my house somewhere, which often gets filled with whiskey on a good night. Um, it seems to be, I mean, I suppose alcohol and the arts or alcohol and writing um, seem to go hand in hand. It's, does it bring the muse out within you? And specifically whiskey in this case. I wish it did. I mean, I, when I was young, I thought you had to get loaded um, <laughs> to write. You know, I looked at people like Hemingway and, and William Faulkner. I looked at the great American writers who I was studying at university and thought they were drunks. And they wrote, therefore I've got to be drunk to write. And I tried it and it just doesn't work. 
Mm. When you're writing, you've got to be stone cold sober and completely in control of the, the inside of your head. Um, the whiskey is for later on. After at the end of the day, when you sort of put your feet up and put some music on, maybe pick up pick up a book to read. That's when you start to explore the world of whiskey. Mm-hmm. I can't do that thing where you just. Uh, it's like I remember thinking, oh, to write a fast car chase scene, I better put on some fast music. I put on a Jesus and Mary chain. Didn't work. Didn't make the scene any better. Um, and certainly, well, you know, alcohol. Some writers can do it and some can't, I guess, but it's never really worked for me. It seems to, uh, what you're saying there probably gives me the distinction between a, a world-class, huge-selling author and someone who lies in the gutter pretending that they're an author. Um, you know, well, I, yeah, maybe there's a bit of that as well. Yeah, there's plenty of people who wish they were writers and they think, if I do that, I, I, the number of times I've been asked by people who want to be writers, what pen do you use? That's not going to help you be a writer. <laughs> you know, the fact that I use a big pen, if you use a big pen, that's not going to suddenly make you a writer. Yeah, that's a strange question. Um, anyway, um, going back to our drams, we're on dram to uh, Christmas stocking treat, which is absolutely delicious. It's deli- the more I drink it, the more I'm liking it. I've, I've added some water and it's, br- it's yep. brought out a, a, a completely sort of different I'm going to finish side this one. to it. But you know what? I'm also a sucker for the fact it says exclusive. On the mm. wee bottle, it says the vault's exclusive. If it says to me exclusive, limited edition, white vinyl, limited to five hundred, uh, signed by the author, I'm in there. I know, I'm, I'm the same. Which is why I'll be queuing up on record store day like everybody else. Yeah, I, I found a, a record the other day uh, in a market. There was a little record stall, and I've become kind of obsessed with Chet Baker recently for some reason. I was, it's a lockdown thing when I was in lockdown. The singing or the trumpet playing? Both, both actually. And I always thought, you know, potentially thought he was a bit lame because he was the, you know, the white guy playing jazz, um, not as well as 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 the black guys, but. Actually, his singing is superb. The tone he gets on the trumpet is, is wonderful. Anyway, I found a Chet Baker record on beer-coloured vinyl. Um, and it was sealed. Uh, and the, 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 the guy that sold me it said, do you mind if we open that? Because I'm, I'm really interested to see what beer-coloured vinyl uh, looks like. So we, we did open it there and then. And it looks great, actually. It's slightly unusual. It looks good spinning on the turntable as well. And it's nice heavyweight vinyl. Um, anyway, James Yorkston, uh, are your second choice. Um, and another great whiskey drinker as well. He loves whiskey. Um, yeah, and I mean, he lives in the East Nuka Fife, which is trying to become established as a place where distilleries... Um, operate. I actually had the privilege of of, of, of opening Lindor's mm-hmm. distillery a few years ago. Of course, they couldn't be producing whiskey because whiskey has to be laid down for a certain amount of years before it is whiskey. Um, but I was there when he opened it, and it's a beautiful distillery and beautiful surroundings. And that's that's Kenny in East, East Nuke. And I know that there are other plans afoot for distilleries in the East. I was, I was lucky enough to be invited to the King's Barnes distillery yeah. opening. And I actually grew up in King's Barnes. That's yep. how I know uh, James Yorkson, because his family moved in directly opposite ours. And there were seven children, lots of people to play with. But going to uh, King's Barnes is always a treat for me, because you've got that nostalgia thing, the beach, and now there's a massive golf course there yeah. and so on. But having a distillery there, in a way, if, if we'd been teenagers there... We might have got up to even more bad behaviour. Um, anyway, moving on to dram number three, Pineapples Ahoy. Um, I've read some of the tasting notes there on the card that goes with it. And as I predict, a little bit more robust. But Ian, what did you choose musically to accompany this? Um, 
Well, I, I chose a kind of hybrid. I've chosen a song called Swim Until You Can't See Land, which is by Frightened Rabbit, great Scottish band, but the version done by Karin Polwart on her um, Scottish songbook album. And uh, A, she's a fantastic singer-songwriter, and she it's an interesting, really interesting, really great interpretation of the song. Um, and mostly because it just reminds me of Scott Hutchinson um, yeah. from Frightened Rabbit, who sadly is no longer with us. Um, terrible story, really uh, sad end to, to, a, to a, a great creative musician. But it was when it was the taste notes were oily and coastal and stuff, and I was going to see songs about the sea. And, you know, Swimming Till You Can't See Land, A, is a great song, but it's also very poignant, uh, bearing in mind how he decided to end his life. Um, so it's got nostalgia, melancholy, remembrance uh, in it, but also the kind of... the excitement of living. Mm-hmm. The, the verve and the excitement of living, the, the, what that band brought to their gigs and their albums was that kind of joyous musical extravaganza. Mm-hmm. But the fact that as you were celebrating at a gig, you weren't aware that the guy singing the song was actually quite tortured. There was a kind of there was a darkness within him. So all of that is contained. My hair's actually going up on my arms as I'm talking to you. The hair's standing up on my arms as I'm describing it. But all of that is contained in this this one whiskey for me. Mm-hmm. And it all started with that oily. What's it? Oily and uh, uh, and coastal. Yeah. Just those two words. Yeah. Sparked that in my imagination. I knew Scott quite well, and he was a, I would class him as a friend, and I admired him as a musician. And as you say, you, you summed it up there. People would be singing along arm in arm at a Frightened Rabbit gig, um, along to dark lyrics, uh, you know, personal trauma and, and turmoil, and, um, you know, the fact that he took his own life is, 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 as you say, utterly tragic. And yet he brought so much pleasure to so many people across the world. The band yeah, were very yeah, successful yeah. in the States as well. Uh, again, um, Scott was a whiskey drinker. He liked a dram or two or three. And I'm sure he would love the fact that you've dedicated yeah. this, this whiskey to But to also it well. took me back, you know, I talk about nostalgia and it took me back to... Um, uh, uh, to Big Country and Stuart Adamson another sad young Scottish musician lost too early because um, he couldn't quite handle the world mm-hmm. around them. And he was at the same high school as me in Cowdenbeath. You know, he was a couple of years above me, so of course he wouldn't speak to me. <laughs> so again, you start drinking a whiskey and bang, 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 it leads to these reverberations. And you can end up spending hours just in thought, in deep thought. And okay, you might get a wee bit melancholy. You might get a wee bit melancholy. And it's a part of the Scots, you know, it's part of the Scots DNA and philosophy to be melancholy, but something rises from it. The fact that both those musicians left a legacy of great music mm-hmm. that will be discovered by new fans around the world for generations to come is, yeah. is a positive that came out of that. And, and why go for Karine's particular take on this? Because the Scottish songbook album she put out was in 2019 and she interprets all sorts of Scottish pop classics, Dignity by Deacon Blue, um, The Mother We Share by Churches to bring it up yeah. to date and all sorts of others. Why go for her version of this um, for this particular? Uh, partly because it's, it's a gorgeous song. She's a great singer. She's got a great touch. You know, I mean, she, there were some interesting choices in that album. Things you would, I can't believe, a folky, in inverted mm-hmm. commas, is going to tackle churches. 
um, and various other things. But she just did it so well. And I went and saw the great Scottish songbook when she did it at the Usher Hall in Edinburgh. I just thought it was one of the, my favourite gigs for a long, long time. Um, and there's something life-affirming about it, you know? And I thought, well, if I go for the Frightened Rabbit version, that's a wee bit of a downer. In a way, going for the Karim Polwart version uh, brings new life to the song and brings new life to Scott's legacy. And it's, it's quite a faithful version, but it definitely has her... Um you know, kind of thumbprint on it. She's anything that she touches becomes almost like a Kareem Polwart yeah. song, doesn't it? Uh, and I shouldn't tell you this, but during well, not quite during lockdown, but nearly during lockdown, there was a tiny wee lull, and she played a private gig in a garden of a friend of mine. And uh, me and my wife went along, and it's the last gig I went to, of course, because it was during mm. I think it was lockdown last year. Um, but there was a wee lull when you could sort of get together in a garden, and she'd been persuaded to play, and it was it was just lovely, and she played a few. Songs she took requests from the audience, and it was just no, no, uh, just her an acoustic guitar. There was no amplification involved at all, but it was just, it was almost like there is life. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there is something, there is, there, you know, there is, something is coming. We, yeah. We're not going to be like this forever. Yeah, that's and, so and we're music did that for that me. As well. you know, music did that. I mean, you know, um, having a, a glass of wine or a glass of whiskey late at night kept me going during lockdown. Writing kept me going during lockdown and music, listen to music and the fact that new music was still being produced. There were no, no gigs, of course, but um, the fact you could still listen to music by your favourite artists. I've never bought so much merch as during the first COVID lockdown because I wanted to keep all these uh, musicians afloat. Yeah, God bless you for that because, um, I mean, musicians do, without sounding too self-centred, have to kind of... You know, make pleas on social media and so on. Please, someone buy our record. You know, because streaming is is one thing, but buying a piece of vinyl or a CD or a T-shirt is actually like you know, kind of tens of thousands of streams yeah. worth of income in in one purchase, and it really helps. Um, yeah. Now, and I mean, without you know, no live music means you know hardly any income for a lot of musicians. It was just absolutely desperate. I was very lucky as a writer. Of course, I could still write, and the publishing industry kept turning over in bookshops were mostly able to stay open. Especially they had a surge in sales, didn't they? Books? Well, they, the books sales did surge, but, you know, much of it was internet-driven, so we're giving a lot of money to a, a certain guy in California rather than giving money to our local bookshop. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, but in Edinburgh, we were fairly lucky in that the indie bookshops were, um, were live and could um, and nimble in a way that the big conglomerates couldn't do. So, for example, if you phoned up an indie bookshop in Edinburgh and said, have you got this book? They said, yeah, you can say, great, can I pay over the phone, debit card? Yep. We'll bank it over to you. Or if you turn up at two o'clock, it'll be sitting outside. Mm-hmm. And you could actually make it work in a way that you couldn't with the big, big, big booksellers. So that was quite nice in a way, and books were still being produced. And, and yeah, book sales, as you say, book sales did go up. Audio books went up. Um, physical books went up. Um, e-books went up. So... And I was able to write. Not every writer was. You know, they didn't feel psychologically strong enough to do it. I found it a great escape. Mm. It was like I was tunnelling out of Camp COVID mm. when I sat down to write because I didn't have to think about it anymore. When I was reading a book, I'd go every five minutes, oh, maybe I better check the news, check the figures. But writing, I just, that all went. Anyway, let's keep talking about this. I like this. But is it, does that feel like I can eat an, an Isla to you? 
Is it a bit less peaty? It's, it, funnily enough, I thought the nose was very sweet and quite delicate. And then when you actually um, take a sip of it and let it um, sort of stay on the palate and in the mouth, it, it, it actually, you feel that robustness and that sort of oiliness and that, as, you, as you, the tasting notes say, oily and coastal. Yeah. Let's read out some of the oily and coastal uh, flavor profile notes. Uh, tarry ropes, oysters, marmite, olive oil, harbour walls, beach bonfire. Brilliant. I love all of that. Yeah. And there's definitely, um, you know, elements of all of those in this tram. I've added a little bit of water to mine now, and it's changed the complexity of it. I finished mine before I got round to adding water. So let's move hmm. on to the, let's move on to number four. Okay, number four. <laughs> what a great way to spend a day. Well, actually, before just quickly before we move on to number four, while we're pouring number four out. Um, Whiskey plays a role in Rebus's life. Your f- most famous character, Ian, Rebus, um, uh, it kind of it seems to be, for the most part, he goes for Highland Parks or Lafroigs, uh, but... Um, anybody that'll pay me, buddy. Anybody that'll pay me. <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. Uh, yeah, mu- music and whiskey flows through the, the Rebus books, um, you know, I, I couldn't imagine how many scenes you've written when he gets back to the flat and <laughs> puts on a record and pours himself a dram. Um, why do, do these two things figure so heavily in, in his story? Um, it's partly your story. Yeah, I, mean. I guess it's partly my story and partly when I was starting writing these books, I was a young man, a wee bit naive. I thought, what would a hard-bitten cop do? He would listen to music and he would, of a certain generation and he would drink... Uh, and indeed smoke, although we're not allowed to talk about that anymore. Um, and he just formed, he kind of formed himself very quickly in my head around those little kind of tropes, you know. He'll go to the, the Oxford bar, which is a real pub, and he'll drink whiskey, and he'll drink IPA, and he'll go home and have a fish supper, and he'll listen to John Martin, uh, or The Stones, or Van Morrison, or something. And it sounds like a mirror image of your life, really. Kind of, <laughs> I know, I mean, too much of it, too much so. And yet, I have said to the tax man that my... Bar bills should be tax allowable, and the the, the H, HMRC says no. So anyway, yeah, it's I've it's research. It. Yeah, it's research. Listen, I get all my best ideas in the pub. You know, um, there's no doubt about it. And I do love finding a new great bar. And whenever I go anywhere in the world, and of course as a as a writer, I do travel widely for book tours and festivals. I always look for the bar. And I'll go online now, I'll go on Twitter or something and say, hey, anybody live in Saskatchewan, any, Saskatoon? Anybody know a good pub in Saskatoon? And people go, yeah, you've got to go to so-and-so. You'll love it. It's just like it's a Rebus bar. Boom, I'm there. And it's great. You know, there's one, one of my favourite bars outside Edinburgh or outside Scotland is in uh, Ottawa, um, Chez Lucien. And just somebody said to me online, they said, listen, if you're going to go to Ottawa, you've got to go to this pub. It's a Rebus pub. And as soon as I walked through the door, I went, yep. I'm mm-hmm. home. Actually, it wasn't quite a Rebus pub. It's got a jukebox. I'm not sure Rebus would go for a jukebox, but it's got a great jukebox. Um, and they do burgers. They do food, not just booze. But the feel of it, the fact everybody's standing at the bar chatting, it's got that kind of, it's got the crack. It's got, the thing that I like about whiskey is whiskey is a communal thing. You sit there and you chat to each other while you're drinking it a lot of the time. I used to come into the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society with Ian Banks and Andy Gregg and various others. We would talk the whole night away. Didn't need music, didn't need TV, didn't need anything. We would just talk. Um, and I love that about it. And going to a new bar, if it's a good bar, that's what you want. You want to listen to the conversations. Mm-hmm. You don't need 
to have music playing or TV on or anything or game machines, um, anything like that. No, gets in the way. Yeah, well, um, let's, as, let's pour this. As, as a music obsessive, I play music all the time in the house, and I work with music. But I do enjoy coming to the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society and sitting back and having a dram or two and maybe a bite to eat. But also just having the grandeur of the space in the building, yeah, yeah, but yeah. without a sort of blasting <laughs> soundtrack or anything like that in the background. That's very it's, good. It's, that, it's, was very, that was very good. You should, you should release that. Beat, beat, beatboxing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what have we got uh, here? It's so we're now on Mima's Moon Pie, which is an incredible name for uh, a whiskey. I don't know. Where Dram that, number four. I don't know where that we're came going from. Going in. Yeah, I'm going to pour the whole thing. What the heck? We're not slurring our words yet, are we? Well, I'm starting to lose the power of speech. My, <laughs> my, my teeth are going numb. Apart from um, that, I'm absolutely fine. So this is um, again. It's under the sweet, fruity, and mm. mellow tasting profile. Yeah, it's yeah, space yeah. side. It's nine years old, and it's a first fill ex bourbon barrel mm. and uh, just before we get your music choice um, let's read a little bit off this card the nose is a breath of fresh air burgeoning spring foliage cut meadow grass flowers and a basket full of tropical fruits melon pineapple kiwi orange there we go it does go on as I say on the tasting card but um, that gives you a little example yeah um, and it but knows- you know Again, sweet, different from the first... Um, yeah, I mean, it's almost... It's not quite chewing gummy. I know what you but mean, kids though. Kids' sweets, kids' sweets. Cheap kids' sweets when Juice, you were when Juicy you were fruit chewing gum. Yeah. All those really, really cheap sweets you used to get in Lucky Bags and stuff when I was a kid. But you're not old enough to remember Lucky Bags. Oh, I do. Um, Kings Barnes local shop had yeah, Lucky Bags. <laughs> but that's, I mean, bags. that's it for me. It was Lucky Bags. It was, it was childhood. Because, I mean, the taste notes, again, coconut cream, iron brew, milkshake, condensed milk, fudge, wagon wheels, took me straight back to childhood and, and took me back. I mean, it took me back, I think, is the thing. And also Mimo's Moon Pie. Mimo, 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 Mimo. It's a noise you make to make a police car, right? Mimo. Mm-hmm. Uh, moon Pie, I'm not so sure about but that kind of youthful exuberance, all of that, took me back and I thought, okay, something I liked when I was young, music I liked when I was younger. And um, the Skids were a really important band to me when I was in my teens, possibly to you too. Um, not you to the band, but to you also. Um, but, you know, they were the Fife band and Stuart Adamson was a couple of years above me at Beath High School. And, you know, we all used to go and see them every gig they played. You know, they played them. Fairman would go. They used to play the Pogo Agogo Club in Kirkcaldy, which was the station hotel. And we used to go along every Sunday night, and they were usually there. There was no stage, mm-hmm. so they were playing at the same level as the audience. And we'd lie down and do the dying fly or whatever. We'd sort of do all the, or the robot would bounce up and down, or the pogo with all these weird dances. Um, and it just, you know, it really took me back. So I thought, yeah, the skids. I've got, and the skids, I love the skids anyway. So I thought the saints are coming. Mm-hmm. The Saints Are Coming would be the song for this. And funny, you, you, you sort of said you 2 earlier on, they and Green Day covered this. Uh, yeah, and I think Great brought, video. Yeah, and I think they brought it to a, a huge global audience. I mean, the Skids are not an, a band that didn't reach an audience. They have a global fan base as well. But I, I, was, I was glad that they took, yeah. you know, Dunfermline's finest. And, uh, and But that was an amazing song because that was a fundraiser for the um, flooding and hurricane in um, New Orleans. Mm. And the video, the video they shot for it was incredible because, of course, the Saints weren't coming. Nobody was coming to save these people. These yeah. people were on their own. Um, I think the video almost ends up saying, if only the Saints yeah. had been coming. 
But, you know, I mean, the band were amazing. They were great, and they came from Fife, and we were so happy, because before that, the Fife band was probably Nazareth, who were a great band, obviously. But when punk came along, of course, when punk comes along, you want your band, you know? You're not going to go to London to see a band or Manchester. You want your band, and the skids were it. Mm-hmm. And so it was part of my youth, was, was dressing up to go to the gigs, going to the gigs, seeing people you saw at every gig, buying the records, talking about the records... I was in a band called The Dancing Pigs. Mm-hmm. We, <laughs> we played about six gigs uh, and we went into a recording studio twice. And we were going to approach um, Stuart Adamson, a producer for a single. Whether our keyboard player ever did get in touch, I have no idea. Um, but that was the plan. It all fell apart. You are on record as saying, in fact, I think you've said it to me directly in the past, that although you've had a wonderful life as a as a, as a, a writer and an author that you're a you know you've always wanted to be a rock star yeah that, that's it's since childhood to the present since day. childhood i mean since childhood but the thing is i've actually done, I've, I've, I've i've had a better life than that because i get almost all the accoutrements of being a rock star without the hassle you've also let's let's be honest you've made some records as well no i made well two i guess one one record with my band best picture a seven inch single and then the jackie leaven album which is uh, but CD. also there's the Ballads of the Book with Aidan Oh, well, Muffet. that was one track on Ballads of the Book. Yeah, I did the lyrics for that and Aidan Muffet sang it. Yeah, that's true. That was and you Ian, featured Ian on St. Jude's Infirmary. Oh, uh, yeah, a tiny bit. St. Jude's Infirmary's uh, second album, was it? And I, I did a wee bit of lyrics for them. But that's quite yeah. nice to have a foot in both camps. Well, yeah. It's not made me my fortune, though, you know. And, <laughs> uh, I'm quite happy doing what I do. But no, it is, it's, it's been lovely. I mean, touring with Jackie Leaven, I, I tried to get a Jackie leaving song in here and I couldn't quite find one that fit um, that was amazing I just loved hanging out with that guy and touring with him and making an album with him and everything else but it's always it's all been good it's all been good I mean the best picture of my band I joined about four years ago I mean that's a stuttering stuttering thing because with lockdown of course we've not rehearsed or done anything for a year and a half so whether we still exist or not is kind of hypothetical at the moment. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of connections. When you talk to a lot of writers, you find, A, they love music a lot of the time. B, they would, they, they've been in bands or want to be in bands. Um, they are singers or musicians themselves. Um, but then, you know, there's a kind of weird wheel. I think we've spoken about this before. Every time I speak to an actor, they want to be a musician. Musicians all want to be filmmakers. Filmmakers all want to be writers. Writers all want to be painters or something. It just keeps on going around. It's like anybody who's creative isn't happy doing what they're doing. They want to be doing something else, but they've not quite found the niche yet. And I don't think, I don't know if I would have been any good as a front man for a rock band. I've seen Best Picture. You weren't bad. <laughs> yeah. You Queen's didn't all. One, you, you didn't see one of our best gigs. We actually, we've done better gigs than that. But, uh, I mean, our last gigs, oh my God, our last gigs were supporting, um, oh, who was we supporting? It was in Glasgow, I forget. But it was, it was, you know, two years ago, Christmas two years ago. And it was good fun. But we, we were just starting to get good when lockdown came. Mm. Hey-ho. Is there a future for Best Picture? I don't know. I don't know. Can people listen to your music online? Uh, one track on YouTube, maybe. Okay. Shall, we move, shall we move on? We've yeah. One um, well, uh, Meepo, uh, sorry, Meemaw's Moon Meemaw. Pie, um, soundtrack by The Skids, The Saints Are Coming, um, phenomenal piece of punk rock new wave from the Scared to Dance album in 1979 which if you don't know you should search out it's, it's a, a benchmark uh, and a great record from that period um, 
I've I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, this is, ni- this is nice. I'm it's nice. It's, it. yeah. it's I think it's it's smoother than it's, the Christmas stocking treat. It's somewhere in between what we've had. That's sort of you know between the first ones we drank and the la- and the, the kind of heavy peaty one we drank. It's somewhere in the middle. I like it. And for my last sip, I'm going to add a little bit of water to it. And then we go for dram number five. Is this some kind of world record, five drams in a podcast? Uh, No, because there are whiskey podcasts. You know this, right? There are whiskey podcasts where all they do is drink whiskey. Yeah. We're we're amateurs. We are. Yeah, no, we are amateurs. I'll I'll take that. if If you're enjoying this, you should start your own whiskey podcast. Banana balaclava. Celebrating EU members, I like that. Celebrating EU members. <laughs> Nothing political in that, guys. No. Age 16 years. 60.8%. Wow. I know. Okay. We're ending with Banana that. balaclava. Yeah. Um, right, okay, let's Ooh. pour this into the old Glen Cairn. What does it say about it? Do you want to read some of the notes, or shall I I'm, do that? Hang on, I'm just looking for... Uh, I've lost my place. Here we go. What have we got? Nose engulfed by senses with a comforting shroud of blueberry muffin, sticky baklava, and Turkish delight. Insulating layers of marzipan and cocoa butter, cocooned apples, quince jelly, and juicy fruit gum. Doesn't that sound good already? Wow. 16-year-old Speyside. First fill ex-bourbon barrel. Yeah, 60.8%. And, uh, yeah. Huh. Oh, I mean, it's almost medicinal on the nose. It's almost like antiseptic. There's not a huge amount of flavour there. It, yeah, it, again, we've had, within the uh, tasting profile of sweet, fruity and mellow, we've had three different whiskies, which yeah. usually with a five-dram tasting pack from the Whiskey Society, you get five completely different profiles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this just must be the kind of, you know, the bottles that they're focusing on at the moment and the distilleries they're focusing on. So there happen to be three sweet, fruity and mellows in there, but they're all quite different. Certainly on the nose, I've not had a sip of this banana balaclava Well, yet. that is a hefty, hefty, hefty dram. Is it, is it? I'm going to put a wee bit of water in that. The nose is superb. It really is. It's one of the, the best noses of the five. And let's go through. Now, this some is of one of the ones where I I had to actually change what I was going to because originally I'd put down Fergus McCready North from the album Cairn, which is he's a you won't know him because you're a, a, a you're a rock guy. <laughs> Fergus is a fantastic Scottish pianist. He's mm. the closest we've got to Keith Jarrett, jazz pianist. I, I do actually know his yeah, music. You know. I'm I, you know it's he's and, not a, s- and it's very very. I mean Cairn is a great album. It's a mm-hmm. fantastic jazz album, but it's also very Scottish. It's all about Scottish. Um, Especially the Highlands, the 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 rough, kind of craggy nature of the Highlands and everything else, as the name Cairn might suggest. But then, having done all that and written notes in it, I scored all that out and put in the Blue Nile over the hillside. Mm. Uh, and now, why why did I do that? You know, I don't know why I did that. I just suddenly thought over the hillside. And uh, we we bookended the five drams with uh, John Martin over the hill, and now we go to the Blue Nile over the hillside. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, perhaps not just outside of Scotland, I mean, the Blue Nile are an international band, but they're not necessarily a household name. But certain people who love the Blue Nile don't just love them, they're obsessed with them. They're completely, you know, overcome with emotion when the Blue Nile is, is, is even mentioned. It, it's called nihilism. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. It's uh, as nihilism. is the book about yeah. them, yeah. Um, now, 
what what is it? Can you sum it up? I mean, we can compare it to the whiskey in a second, but what is it about the Blue Nile that sets people alight so much? Um, you know, I was playing the album just recently. I played a lot of their stuff recently. It just doesn't age. It doesn't age at all. You know, if you picked this up, if you picked any of their albums up today, you would swear they were recorded yesterday, but they recorded decades ago. Some of them. They were the house band for Lynn. I know the, you mentioned. I was going to mention them earlier. The hi-fi manufacturer in Glasgow and high and Lynn wanted to start a record label up, and for some reason they picked on the Blue Nile and gave them lots of money and said, "Go away and come back when you're happy." And they spent years producing a walk across the rooftops, their the first album, and it was beautiful and it showed off Lynn record systems to their best. Um, but the band were incredible perfectionists, so it took them like you know twenty years to do three albums. Um, and uh, there's only three of them in the band. I can't believe there's only three of them because the sounds were extraordinary. But just you know, it sounds as fresh and different, unusual, quirky, left field. Now you'll know this. You'll know this. A lot of Scottish bands who are revered are never going to make it on the world stage as stadium fillers. They're too left field. They're different. They appeal to a minority audience, whether it's Boards of Canada or Cocteau Twins or Jesus and Mary Chain or the Blue Nile, whoever it is. There's something in the DNA of Scottish music that says we would rather do our own thing than try and be populist. Mm -hmm. And I think the Blue Nile were part of that. They were perfectionists and they wanted to make the stuff they wanted to sound. It didn't matter what the media were saying they should do. We're just going to produce what we want to produce. Um, and over the hillside is lovely. It's great because it does take you over the hillside. You know, it's like you're driving a car up to Ardnamurchan or somewhere. You're getting out of Glasgow. They're a Glasgow band. Get out of Glasgow, head north, and you're going to hit the highlands. You're going to hit all these amazing places, these great views, mists, low sunsets, all the rest of it, coastal scenery, um, as you go over the hillside. And mm -hmm. I just thought, yeah, perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and this is from the second album, Hats, Hats. which... I think I prefer the first one. I think there's a slight sort of freshness and almost naivety to it that I, that I love beyond Hats. But Hats is a masterpiece. And they're the right band to be the kind of, you know, to be linked with a, a hi-fi company because the precision in the recording, you know, as you say, it sounds, you know, studio exemplary now. And it was recorded decades ago. I mean, yeah. it could have been released yesterday, as you say. There is something special about this band. Now, I understand that it's not to everyone's taste due to the uncompromising nature of it, but actually, they're, they're really easily accessible in some ways. It's, it's quite, I mean, it's quite opaque. It's quite sort of um, broad brush strokes in terms of the, the musicianship and, and the, the synthetics and the synth sounds on there. And Paul Buchanan's voice is just stunning. But there is a sort of, I wouldn't say immediacy, but uh, 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 people can listen to this music and, and understand something and, and feel connected to it immediately, yeah. I think. And there was something else that hit me, which was that we had John Martin, you know, I'm going, I'm going home, I'm going back. I thought, where's he going? He's going back to Scotland from south of the border. Over the hillside is kind of a similar thing. You're coming back home, you're heading home. It's almost like the, the, the connection with um, Caledonia, mm -hmm. the song Caledonia. Um, a lot of the, the, these uh, musicians are doing songs about, you know, I've, done, I've tried this lifestyle, it doesn't suit me, I'm going to go back to where things make sense. 
and where makes, things make sense is their childhood mm-hmm. home, uh, which in many cases is Scotland. Mm-hmm. I just love that sense that you're heading back. You know, because he's going, I'm going to head back over the hillside. I'm going to go over the hillside. Um, I'm going to get away from the life I've got, which is not happening for me. It's not pleasing me. A wee bit like dignity, Deacon Blue. You know, here's a guy who's worked all his life so he can get out of that life and do something else with it. Um, with, 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 over the, with the John Martin song, guy's got to get away from the life he's got and come back. And here, it's the same thing. These are people who are having to leave a life behind that hasn't worked for them and get back to something that does make sense. And I, I really, I connect with that because, you know, I left, to, I went to London, uh, went to France, lived there for a few years, and I just itched to get back to Scotland where things made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there are Glasgow bands you mentioned, but you're, you know, now and have been for many years an Edinburgh man, uh, as, as am I. Um, it's difficult to leave Edinburgh. It has to be said, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Um, what f- continually fascinates you about Edinburgh? It's, it's through, you know, almost every... It's a TARDIS. Edinburgh's a TARDIS. It's, it's, it's a very, very small city that contains multitudes. It's much bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. You can walk around it in a day, but it can take you a lifetime to get to know it. You know, I've been living here for donkey's years and I still don't really know it. Um, and it's got all the attributes of a big city, but it's small, it's livable, it's workable, it's everything. And it's got great bars. It's got, it's got a few good record shops and a lot of great pubs. And it's got the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, and we're in the vaults in Leith uh, having a few drams. Uh, Banana Balaclava is the last one. The current book, A Song for the Dark Times, is the 23rd Rebus? I've no idea. And the 8th Malcolm Fox? I've no idea. Uh, anyway, there's been a few before. Yeah. Um, and it's doing brilliantly and on top of all the bestseller lists, as you must be getting bored of that now. No, you never get bored, man. You never get bored if we're going to number one. When you hit number one, I mean, if you don't get hit number one, you get a wee bit peed off. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But my next book is actually um, it's finishing a book started by the great Scottish novelist William McIlvanny, another guy mm. who liked to drink, and um, he wrote about a detective called Laidlaw. And at his death, he left a book unfinished, and his widow asked if I would try and finish it. So that's called The Dark Remains, and it's set in Glasgow, and it comes uh, in September. Right. So hopefully I've done them justice. I'm sure you have. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure sharing a few drams and talking music. Two of your favourite things, two of my favourite things. Um, You are our first guest on Maltz and Music, and um, I know this is, uh, you know, a relatively short podcast. We could do it for another couple of hours and never get bored of talking about music and whiskey. Thank you, Ian Rankin. Slange. Slange. Thanks for checking out Malts and Music. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, we are building a playlist of all the tracks discussed. You can find that on Spotify. And for all your whiskey needs, unfiltered, whiskey talk, and so much more, head along to the website smws.com. I'm Vic Galloway. This is the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, and I'll speak to you in a month's time. Ah!